I always wanted to work. I can remember being 11, 12 years old, jealous of older kids who had summer jobs, bored out of my mind from watching hours of television. I wanted a job, but I was too young. I thought it was cool. I wanted money in my pocket to buy, well, back then cassette tapes and then eventually records. When I did start working, it was at the CNE, the Canadian National Exhibition, in Toronto, cutting fish in a back room for a fish and chip stand that is still there to this day, working 12-hour shifts. I guess they say, be careful what you wish for. I immediately realized that it sucked. I can still remember the exacting angle I would place the knife to cut the frozen fish and the smell that stayed on me during days off. Luckily, it didn't last very long. I quit right before the CNE closed. I had to find a better job. Back then, Exhibition Stadium, the venue attached to the CNE, was pretty much the premier outdoor summer concert spot. The first Lollapalooza was there. I saw Metallica and Aerosmith and Billy Idol and Slayer there. But the one show I always wish I saw but couldn't because I was cutting fucking fish in a stinky back room was when an up-and-coming band from L.A. called Guns N' Roses opened up for the cult. I still remember hearing the show over the sizzle of the cutlets and fries, wishing I could watch. I'd seen the video for Welcome to the Jungle, and all the articles I'd read in Hit Parader and Rip Magazine made me understand there was something about this band that set them apart from the otherwise tired L.A. rock scene. Well, the rest is history. Guns N' Roses' ramp-up was lightning fast, as we all know by now, with a string of songs embedded into a generation's DNA like, of course, Welcome to the Jungle, but also Sweet Child of Mine, Patience, November Rain, and Paradise City. To me, the Appetite for Destruction era embodied the rock and roll spirit. There was a very dangerous element to them without it being too gimmicky or put on. I think most could feel it too. But it was their incredible songwriting that put them heads above anyone else. Even to this day, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses is one of the greatest rock records ever made. In 2005, we were in Seattle, Washington, opening up for Turbo Negro at the Showbox. Backstage was none other than Guns N' Roses bassist Duff McKagan and Alice in Chains drummer Sean Kinney. I was surprised at how down-to-earth both of them were, and how cool it was that they were checking out Turbo Negro, one of the greatest bands on earth. Over the next few years, I'd bump into Duff in the farthest-reaching places, like Spain and Brazil, never really thinking I made any sort of impression on him. But he always remembered my name and was always very friendly, quite approachable. Last February, while on the Soundwave Festival across Australia, our band got partnered up with Duff McKagan's Loaded, which meant we shared plane rides, hotels, shuttles, and of course, a stage together for almost two weeks. In that time, I ended up on stage with Loaded singing the Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction classic, You're Crazy. I don't know how many times I'd heard that song, and there I was, singing it with Duff. Shortly after Soundwave, we ended up back in Seattle while on tour with Volbeat and caught up with Duff while he was working on a film project based on his book, It's So Easy. A sit-down with him and legendary veteran rocker Tad Doyle was filmed. Hopefully the footage captured was useful for the project, and Duff also wrote a very flattering piece on our band for the Seattle Weekly, which remains 
the greatest thing I've ever read about our band. Do a Google search on March 21st, Seattle Weekly, Duff McKagan, Danko Jones, if you want to read it for yourself. This past summer, we ended up on tour with Duff again, this time with his other band, The Walking Papers, on the Rockstar Uproar Tour across America. Coincidentally enough, the tour was headlined by none other than Alice in Chains and Jane's Addiction, who I both saw, separately of course, at, you guessed it, Exhibition Stadium, the CNE. So, things kind of come full circle here. As stated, Duff has been writing for the Seattle Weekly for five years now. He also writes for ESPN.com. His autobiography, It's So Easy, is one of the greatest rock bios I've ever read. I recommend it to anyone, Guns N' Roses fan or not. Well, if you're a listener to the podcast, you probably already know Duff was on here earlier, episode number 42 to be exact, with Damien Abraham from Fucked Up. It's a fun episode, but this time, inviting Duff back, I wanted to delve into his experiences as a writer. And as a guy in a band, I look up to Duff, not just from a musician's perspective, but as someone who also needs to meet deadlines with editors while far from home on tour. I feel a kinship with him because of this. I want to thank Blue Mic Microphones for providing this podcast with the Yeti mics that we use to make this podcast happen. I want to thank Skull Candy Headphones for their Aviator headphones and the Mixmaster Mic headphones for making this podcast happen. But most importantly, I want to thank everybody who takes time to listen to even just one episode, all the episodes. Just thank you for listening to the podcast. I love this episode because Duff McKagan is the man. And this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. I'm ro- I'm rolling already. So. Oh shit! No, it's we don't want to waste tape. No. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so uh, it's really great to have you back on the podcast. It's good to be back. And Denko Jones. This is kind of full circle because we started the year off together in Australia. Right. And uh, with another band of yours, Loaded. With Loaded. Yep. And then uh, now we're here with the Walking Papers. Right. But I wanted to I wanted to get you on the the podcast because um, we both write mm-hmm. and we both tour at the same time and we have editors and we have deadlines uh, beyond any kind of tour or set list or set yeah. time or anything. Yeah. And I, I, I was very curious uh, as to your process um, while you're out on the road and how you come up with subject matter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, you've been writing for the Seattle Weekly now for a few, a number of years. Five years, yep. Um, weekly. And I, it's funny, uh, kind of came accidentally for me. I, um, in 2008, I think, um, I was contacted by Men's Italian Vogue to write an article for them about 1987 Hollywood. They were doing a, a fashion piece, like whatever that fashion was in 1987. And, um, I mean, the 1987 Hollywood that I remembered, I knew it was going to be completely different than what they wanted. Right. So I wrote it anyhow. 
Yeah. And uh, I'd, I'd gone through Seattle U in my 30s and did a lot of writing because it's a, it's a liberal arts school. And I went to biz- the business school, but I had to go as an undergraduate. So I did a ton of English, philosophy, religion, everything. You have, you know. How is it? Okay. Yeah. Go on. How was it religion? You well, want to no, get into that? Yeah. <laughs> no, but how is it going back to school as such a high profile, with your high profile? Yeah, um, I'm always curious when I hear people do that. Yeah, so I was a little afraid, but I was kind of, I, I felt a little bold at that point. I, um, But I was afraid that I would get in, I, it would, I had to jump through a bunch of hoops to finally get into the school I wanted to get into, academic hoops. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want anything to sort of blow that um, opportunity I got to go to that school. And uh, so I cut all my hair off. I dressed differently, kind of goofy. You know, the first wow. month, you know, I uh, was was kind of afraid. And the other, they were kids. I mean, I was 33 and they were 18. And Regardless, they know who you are. Though. They, they knew who I was. And, and But it, the school was so hard that nobody really cared. They were, they were, you know, a couple of the kids were goofy about it you know uh-huh. um but I, I uh it turned out i didn't have to be that worried about it because school was just too hard and when i got into the business part of the school then it was yeah um everybody it was very serious so um anyhow i matriculated through the school and and uh vr started and while i was in vr is when i was asked to write that article for men's italian vogue right so i wrote this piece about you know, needles being shared and, uh, you know, sex was still kind of that 70s hangover, like unprotected sex, unprotected everything. And AIDS was still, I mean, in 84, it was called GRIDS, gay-related immune deficiency syndrome. Before I it was didn't even it, know that. Yeah. And I worked at a bakery that was all gay men, except for me. Wow. Um, in 84, 83 and 84. So this grid scare came in. And um, I had a more personal, because like friends of mine were that I worked with were terrified of this thing, and they thought it came from bathhouses in San Francisco. They thought they had it pegged to where it came from, grids. And then, of course, we found out it was. But still, wow. in, in Hollywood, in the heterosexual world, there was no real fear. And um, like the first... Cases of AIDS came in first. Um, you know, some of my, you know, people around me started to die of like overdoses, and and '87 was a year of awakening for me, and um, in a lot of ways, and it was also a darkening. And um, and I wrote about just sort of the underbelly of Hollywood that I experienced in 1987. That was my Hollywood. So I turned in the article, and they 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 the editor there really liked it. <clears throat> so that gave me a little bit of like, okay, I can write an article. Not that I ever thought about it before. And then uh, the Seattle Weekly had seen that article, and I'm a Seattleite, and they, they asked, there, a, a column had come up, come free, some writer had left, or whatever. And they offered it to me. It was a weekly column. So getting into what you were talking about, like yeah. how do you... So I, that was, okay, a weekly column. I was in a band... And what what do you want me to write about? Well, I, you know, uh, they, I had an editor there that talked to me about, 
you know, why don't you just, the, the, the first one, just introduce yourself. Sort of introduce yourself. And, um, and I brought, uh, introduced myself, and kind of, there was some humor in it. And uh, um, the second week, I don't know what I wrote, I forget what I wrote about the second week, but started to get a bit of a, a flow, you know, I started to get a bit quicker, and there was an, an audience for it suddenly, mm -hmm. and, and uh, uh, you know how those, they, they get relinked all over the place. I don't know if Twitter was there in 2008. Or not? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I got on board on 2010, 2011. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, 2011. But it would get Facebooked and get picked up by other sites and all of that. And um, and then Playboy offered me uh, to write. They wanted me to write a financial column uh, on their yes. Playboy.com. That's what I, I heard that too. It's because I knew I'd gone through. Um, so now you look at the year. It's 2008. It's 2008, nine. America was crashing. The world was crashing. The financial right. You guys yes. want me to write the financial? You want <laughs> right. me to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd, we'd like you to try. So I kind of wrote this. Uh, so I had two um, columns a week that first year, and that was a uh, the the deadlines were two different days. So, and I was touring, and um, uh, or even if I was touring or not, you and know, this I'd, was Velvet Revolver, right? Velvet so Revolver, the, yeah. The touring is really heavy yeah but it's like what we do you know it's the same thing that you and I do and you write I like to write in the morning on coffee that's my my favorite time to write um, same here you know flash forward to, to now like writing columns like touring with you know the guys I tour with yeah in the, with, whether fans. it's loaded or, or walking big, funny guys and yeah. you become an observationalist when you yes become a columnist when yeah. you have a weekly you don't mean to become an ob you're not sitting there like picking people apart and sitting back and observing but you just something will happen you go that would be an amazing column I was going to ask you that much like a, a stand-up comedian is always quote-unquote on yeah always trying out at least comedian friends of mine yeah I was going to ask you about that well, I, yeah. Has it made you come more like more social, more more um, uh, participatory in like conversations and stuff like that? I think I'm less social because I'm always fucking writing. You know, I'm less so, less social than I'd like to be. Right. Um, I've got a deadline, and I got to you know have to turn in my whatever by. Um, I have one today. I have a deadline today. For a Seattle Weekly. No. Uh, yes, for a Seattle Weekly. Yeah, for a. Um, for their paper, so it's kind of a. I'm writing about this tour, okay, because it's coming to Seattle next weekend, so it'll right. be in the Thursday paper. How did how did the people at Seattle Weekly find out about this Italian magazine? I would think that it would have been, well, it's an ocean apart. I think um, good editors, that's their job, especially if they're looking for a new huh. columnist. Right. You know, I think good good editors. Um, my editor at Playboy, Tim Moore, was the guy who ended up editing my book. He, I mean, he reads periodicals and magazines and newspapers and different writers all the time. And right. make, that's his business. Right. And uh, It's a national paper, so they're always kind of... A national mag... International yeah. magazine. Yeah. And same with the Weekly. You know, Seattle's a very well-read town. Mm -hmm. And I think people just read stuff. And, right. Yeah. Now, with with your writing, how how long did it take from you starting to actually 
consider yourself as a bona fide journalist, uh, a columnist, uh, yeah. uh, into starting to think like become more of a novelist, like trying to take on it's so easy. Right. Okay. So um, it's it's pretty simple. Um, I wrote a column about a year into maybe 10 months into writing for the Seattle Weekly. Now I was really starting to find my voice and I was very comfortable writing and I started to talk from the first person, I would tell. Usually I'd write about something or this or that, interject a little bit of a personal um, something, but uh, I started to write first person accounts and some of them were maybe more emotional than I knew I was capable capable of writing about. Um, And Chris Novoselic, was a guy who was my, uh, he was a peer at Seattle Weekly. He was a writer there too. Oh, okay. And he was a weekly columnist, and we became colleagues. You know, we were friends, right. and and we started talking about writing. And uh, um, it, what happened to me in 1994? I took a plane back from from Seattle, from LA to Seattle, and Kurt Cobain was on the plane with me. And I was as fucked up as anybody was fucked up, and and uh, he so he was in his little deal, and I was in mine, and and uh, you know a couple of days later he passed away, and I I sunk into my I was so you know frankly I was used to it like people around me dying, so I didn't pick up the phone and call Chris, I didn't know him well well enough but I was you know I I had because I'm a Seattle I just felt like that was one thing I I didn't do I didn't call Grohl sorry about your your bro you know I didn't do it and I started to I got sober and as I was more and more sober as the years and I started having kids and I started to see the um I started to feel some things that were sticking more some uh places in my life that I hadn't uh, addressed and that was one of them was calling Chris and Dave and uh, so I wrote a column and it was uh, to Dave and Chris and, and it was a uh, you know I didn't I didn't call you man and, and I'm sorry and I'm sorry about your friend and and uh, you know I was on that plane and uh, you know uh, there's nothing I could tell you that you know I was I was too fucked up like to really no, you know, like any sort of like where his head was at, or mm-hmm. you know, um, you guys probably knew him better than anybody, and uh, you might want to ask me something, you know, but I don't know if I have anything to tell you, but I do want to tell you I'm sorry, and I'm sorry for your loss, and and it was um, the first time I really touched on this stuff, and it was uh, I sent it to Chris before I went to print. I said uh, I just sent to him an email. Um, and it as like a letter, you know, to him. And and at the end, I said uh, I'd like to publish this in the weekly this this week. And he liked it, I think. And uh, so I was right. I that week when I wrote that thing to Chris and Dave, I wrote these other. I also apologized to my seven older brothers and sisters about um, and thanked them too for being heroes. And I named them each separately and. And the things they'd done, and the things maybe I wish I would have done better, and wrote a letter to my mom who had passed, and um, 
And I started just writing these. They weren't right for the Seattle Weekly, obviously, mm-hmm. and just these side stories. And and a lot of people had asked me, um, like, how much did you drink? How much drugs did you do? And I would t- put out a number. You know, I would say, well, if I said a, a gallon of vodka a day, people would go, oh, that's a lot. Now, m- most people have no idea what that even means, right? Yeah. So I see this blank look on their face. So I started to write without putting any numbers to it. I took out the numbers, how much, you know, ounces, how many gallons, and um, I, about the descent into um, insanity, which is what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, then um, and when I did that, it was really kind of disturbing and tough to write about because I'd never really thought about that thoroughly. Um, from punk rock kid not having a problem to, you know... Uh, somewhere between a punk rock kid and something else and a, and a 21 year older um, knowing he suddenly had a problem I'll get to it next week I'll yeah. get to it next week you know and um, then being 25 fully strung out and alcoholic mm-hmm. then 29 like literally um, knowing that okay well I'm going to die in a year or two and being okay with it you know completely like Okay, well, that's the way it is, and uh, and then my uh, it's kind of my way out. I started just writing little stories, like column length stories, right. or sometimes longer. You're right. used to writing a thousand words at a time. Yeah, and I that's am. your comfort zone. Yeah, and you got your little peak there, and your your conclusion. So um, I don't know. I that that, that the Chris Novoselic, Dave Grohl column I wrote really woke me up and I started writing and I started writing a lot and uh, writing 4,000 words writing on a plane flight from LA to New York or Seattle London you know that was great I loved those flights I could write a lot and uh, but I was writing the book and then uh, I picked up a gig writing for ESPN too so I was writing for Seattle Weekly and ESPN Weekly the Playboy gig um, last a year and I was kind of sick of writing about financial stuff right. I think I, I um, in the 12 months I was there I really there was a service that, that I uh, think I, I did for the common man like I just explaining basic stuff that was very strategic of them to, to choose you to, to write the column because I think you put a face to it just calming because everybody yeah. can identify with you maybe so Maybe so. And um, I don't know. So uh, I was had two deadlines a week, and I was writing the book. I was writing a, a ton. And my, you know, I don't know if you get this. You probably do. Uh, when, when I did my uh, book, when the, my book came out, the, the day of release, we had, there was a um, book signing, right? Yeah. And it was at the Strand in, in New York, in Manhattan. Oh, yeah, right. It was awesome. I love that book. Story. And they, the, the book company, hired Dave from Rolling Stone, Dave Frick, right? Yes. Yeah, I know that name. Yeah, amazing writer. He's written books, and I'm pretty sure I knew I've, who he was. You, yeah, you absolutely have read, read him. him. You know what he looks like. He's been in a ton of documentaries and stuff. Yeah. And uh, he was so back behind before we came out, and we did a conversation, him and I, about writing before I did the book signing. In front of the the people who were there, it was right? Killer. Oh yeah, yeah, right. But before we started, I said, "Dude, what about your neck and your shoulders? How do you like?" <laughs> he goes, "Ah, so you're getting that." 
dude, like, my, my back really started killing me just from writing so much. How often, how much do you write in a day? And is it a discipline for you, even a, on this tour? It's a discipline. It is, yeah. You do X amount of words a day? No, no, no. Oh, I see. No, all I have now, I, I'm not writing a book now, so right now all I have is one column. It's like leisurely to me. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, um, and to get to that again, also, like now the funny guys in my, in my bands, I'll sit around with them and I'm like, damn. Um, I have a column due. We'll be on a ferry, you know, from Ireland to yeah. Liverpool or something. Like, yeah, I got to... Right, let's do top ten something. Like, and we'll do like some goofy... And, and like my band will help me write my column. Right. And some of those are the best because you have all these ideas coming. And, I, and I'm putting... Okay, give me a second. Let me put that... Does this sound right? And uh, those are have been fun to write. I've written probably about seven or eight of those with, That's with the help That's of, great. of friends. But... uh do you, do you stockpile stuff? No. If you go through, no. No. Um, do you? Yeah. You do. Yeah. Like I'll I'll sit there. I'll sit on this bus, and I go. Well, I just handed in this week's, and I've got next week's, but this will give me a free week to just glide. So let me just sit down here, and it takes me about two to three days to finish it. When I'm uh, when I've got like three weeks to hand it in. So I'm I am a month and a half in advance with one column, and I'm four months in advance with another. That's a monthly column. So who are you writing? I for? do my I do my Huffington posts. Right. But I I decided to go biweekly because I thought the weekly was just like too grinding for me. Yeah. And no one was no one was asking for it. They yeah. just wanted me to contribute. And then I have a monthly column in Close Up Magazine in Sweden oh. that I've had since '06. Jeez. Yeah, so I, I do I'm four months ahead on that. And then um I have a week a monthly column in Rock Zone in Spain, which is just like five hundred words on an album that I like. Which is I stock. Any out. album. Any I, I, it's called Danko's Hall of Fame. Okay. So it's just like classic records that I like. you know, like uh Master of Puppets or yeah. Uh, raw power, yeah. s- stuff like that. Yeah. So, so I'm five months ahead on that. Wow. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about. It. I can just. I want to. That's kind of cool. Yeah. From tour, and I've got other kind of writing projects that have been on the back burner for two years. That I that just stare at me at my on my when I open up my desktop and it's bothering me. So I just want to clear the yeah. table and just and get to it. But they're not novels. I don't know how to be a novelist. I can't. Well, I didn't, you know, I, I just wrote kind of, I didn't write a novel. I, I wrote a story of my life, like, that I chose to, to tell. I didn't tell my whole story. I didn't talk about girls, to, you know, to, and I didn't get to. I noticed that in the book. You know, I mean, there's just certain things like I don't read that many rock books, really. I read yeah. Cormac McCarthy, and and you know, I uh, and I just I've read some rock books where it's just all about the chicks and the yeah, and I, um, it's not very gentlemanly, you know. Not that I was always a gentleman, but I think I always was actually kind of a gentleman. Well, I think your book is different than all those other biographies because I've read my fair share. And a lot of them just go through this whole, the arc is, I got really fucked up and I pulled myself from the brink 
and now check out my new album and and here's a picture of me now right whereas your book went from it just kept going and it went around and not only did I t pick myself up from the brink I turned I did a complete 180 and I'm like I'm doing this other like you just kept going up literally going up a mountain when you start talking about right. mount oh I think and and that takes the reader on this journey of of you know self fulfillment and it's very uplifting like when you said oh you know you, I can't remember but it was the bike race and you you even felt out of place like just how you were dressed and you just did it yeah you yeah. know like stuff like that and then you wanted to climb this mountain etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know I mean I haven't gone through what you've gone through but everybody's been there where you you want totally. to better my, yourself my you my, my story's not any different than anybody else and and when i wrote about the the bike stories or any of that stuff um i wasn't there was no intention i i literally was like oh that's a little too goofy to put in the book about the bike race or the, the you know um but uh and it, it turns out like those stories so many people um recognize something about that in themselves but yeah when you want to work out when you want to get better yeah. you like for me when I like I gained a bit of weight like six years ago uh -huh. and I was so intimidated to go into a gym and because I, I just thought that everybody would be completely buff right and it's that kind of awkwardness that you know is conveyed in in your story there that everybody can identify with yeah and you know that's so I identified with that yeah the bike yeah. race it was yeah it was funny I mean I just literally entered like this this form at a bike shop and sort of turned it in and I think it was like 18 bucks or something to, um, and I it was just a thing to stay sober if I can ride my bike every day for that's four weeks away you know and if I can make it to that and go make it to the that's four weeks and um, so I and it, and it was way up in Big Bear it was like it was a journey I had to get a, like a bike rack for my car and so there's steps I had to do, yeah, right. but I, you know, I never looked into like bike riding culture or like clip in shoes or the direct, you know, right. any of that. I was just riding every day in the heat and like the total self-flagellation thing. And I was riding in the smog up like steep hills in, in LA. So I thought, well, if I'm, I can ride it out too, if I'm riding in smog and I get up there and I, yeah, I've got like, yeah, Converse high tops. Yeah. Uh, uh, like cotton gym shorts. Well, I, I pictured, I pictured like, like you, the way I pictured you in the GNR videos or whatever, just yeah. like riding a, getting there, riding a bike, feeling completely out of place. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what, especially for someone like me, like what I do and where I come from, I've, I've, I totally feel like that yeah. when, when you do things in the quote unquote straight world. Yeah. And you know, you got to fucking skull on your shirt and you don't even realize it yeah. and you're walking around yeah so i totally identify you with get that. into that thing and suddenly you realize it like oh people are kind of snicking at you and like all yeah. oh, right and uh yeah a couple guys like try to like the race starts off and it's really intense and i'm like whoa, whoa, whoa. i never raced you know and um and some guys like one guy actually knocked me over when it because it was a mountain bike race so it was a cross you climbed up the mountain for well, which I was fine with climbing, like I was fit. I right. was fit, you know, right. I really was. I was like, 
I got this. But some guy like knocked me over and some other, they're just gnarly. Like, especially at that, the first couple turns, the first right. mile or mile and a half. Um, it was heavy. I'm like, okay. I mean, it's just like, these are just, these are bike geeks, man. I, I got this, you know, yeah. I'll take this guy down. And, and, uh, it was once I kind of got my breath and kind of realized what it was and laughed at myself for feeling insecure and how goofy I look compared to well that's what else. it is it's yeah. just massive insecurity yeah totally it's, that stops me but um yeah writing about that stuff I didn't know I, so Tim Moore came into it my editor from Playboy right. really cool he's a NYU professor he he was a DJ in in East Berlin you know like punk rock like the guy's story is really cool. Yeah. And he's an American guy, speaks flu fluent German, started um, translating German novels into English for a book company. Okay. Um, and, you know, and was a DJ in Berlin, <laughs> and uh, then um, then came back and started working for Playboy. And uh, and he was my guy. He understood like my, my whole punk rock thing and the whole deal. And um, so I asked. I started sending him. Like some of my documents, either four thousand word document or, or, and he was used to editing me at Playboy, so he would just send me notes. He's like, "Oh, okay, document, you know, fourteen, because you send people. I have them in word documents. So whether it's four thousand words or two thousand words, they're all separate documents. I kind of name them. You know, oh, I, see. I don't know if you do it that way. I didn't want all of my book to be in one doc. I didn't want to write it in one continuous thing. Okay. I wrote them in column lengths, or or for full article lengths, feature length, article lengths. Right. You know what I mean? Which could be like twenty five hundred words. Could be. Yeah. And I was sending him these separate documents, and he go, "Okay, well, you know, document fourteen, um, paragraph three, sentence two. What did that look like? What did that feel like?" Oh, I see. Right. I'm like I don't know what it felt like. Uh, don't don't tell me. You know, I'd call him. I don't know what that felt. I just that's what I. So, hey, don't tell me, write it. Yeah. You know, and uh, so he's kind of like a professor, yeah. too, when it, when it became uh, time to, like, f fill in more detail. I didn't ever go to any calendars or uh, um, any... I, we didn't look on Google and look up, like, tour dates, so I got, made sure I had... Oh. Dates of 1991 gig I was talking about, right? That wasn't the important thing. This is my memory. Right. I don't want to go back and try to correct it with the real story. <laughs> you know, it's really my memory. And well, the, that was the thing is with when I read the book, I knew I knew that you wrote for for newspapers and magazines. Mm -hmm. So I knew that this wasn't a ghostwriter either. Right. This yeah. wasn't you sitting in a hotel room for like two weekends. In, right. in front of someone yeah. and someone else was writing these were your words and stuff so that was also different than all the other rock biographies that I've read right. because I'm uh, sometimes I've read stuff and I'm just like that guy doesn't even use that word in any interview I've ever heard or seen right. he's just incapable of that yeah you know no offense buddy but you know yeah so yeah that was very interesting I, ha I had to get sinus surgery for it to clear it was kind of awesome it was um in sort of in uh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? It was po poignant because the editing 
week that we were going to, he and I were going to get together and take all these stories and put them in some sort of order. Of course, the book company wanted me to like uh, start the, the thing with me in the hospital and that, you know, yeah. and I'm like, I'm not going to do that. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. And uh, my, my daughter, Grace, had just turned 13. And that, that when she, when that party we had for her, I, I talk about my daughter's party and her turning 13 at the beginning of the book the prologue of the book and, yeah. and uh, uh, that wasn't intentional it just happened and I had the book the book quote unquote written I had all these stories written but I didn't have a beginning and I didn't know where to start my book and then this party happened and the next morning I woke up and I looked at my wife Susan and I said I think I have the beginning of my book and it's that party last night and here's what I thought in my head this is what things and uh um, so we had all these stories, me and Tim, and I had to get sinus surgery in my sinuses to clear up some old cocaine damage. This right. is only two years ago, right? But this damage started to become apparent. I was getting sick all the time. And, and um, so he came out and he goes, well, look, get your surgery because we we're going to do it in Seattle. I wasn't with Susan and the kids. He goes, look, Susan and the kids don't have to come up. You get your surgery. I'll take care of you and we'll edit your book. And it was really kind of poignant and sweet. And, uh, you know, I'm feeling the damages from the stuff I've written about in the book. Right. I so couldn't. Suddenly it's like right yeah. in front of you again. I couldn't edit my own book. I couldn't do it. I didn't know where to put the story. I, it was too much. I'd written it. I didn't. And I was getting frustrated. And uh, I was in pain. And he said, Look, uh, I'll go down in the basement. You just stay upstairs for the weekend. And I'll go down. I'll come check on you. And he worked really hard. He probably worked 16-hour days, those two days, and just put all these. And it was really generally that after that first weekend, that's pretty much how it was. And he put all these stories, and it was like we discussed books that we liked, that he and I liked. And here's how I wanted the book to feel. I wanted to feel like you're going to get a panic attack by, by confusing you at the beginning of the book. Like, you don't know where you are. And so by the time I talk about panic attacks, you're kind of confused. You don't mm -hmm. know where you are in the book. Right. And boom, here comes the panic attack that I'm I'm having, my first one. And um, So that's what he did. I think the first 100 pages, when he brought them to me of, of the book, and I read it, I was like, dude, that's... That's just genius what you did. You know, they're my words, but they're, the way he put the thing in there and uh, put put them all together um, was just genius. And I was suddenly super psyched to be um, in partnership with a with a guy who really knew what he was doing. Pretty kind, cool. Kind of like a producer to to a band. Yeah, I never had like a real. I mean, I had good producers, yeah. but, you know, like Mike Klinker, they're more like recording engineers. We, songs were already written, so I yeah. never... This was kind of like what I thought of what a producer is. Somebody helps you with the songs and all that. Yeah. And he, you know, was with me the whole way and was my professor when I um, really had to get more detail and the editing bit, that was completely him. Now, are there any other plans to do another book or anything like that? I'm, I think I'm, I've been toying with the idea of doing a book of my first five years, or the five years, at, at Seattle Weekly. Because I don't know where the Seattle Weekly is going. We spoke about that before. Yeah. And do a book of columns, um, call it 250, 250 column or, or something. 
Right. Is it every column, or are you going to edit out some columns where you're I'll like, edit ah, some of those. That yeah. was a weak one. Nah, I was, I was, There's some weak ones, for you know, sure. I was, yeah, I was like, oh, I was really busy that that whole month, you know. Did I really write about that? Uh, yeah. Do you look? Do you ever re- reread your stuff and just go, oh, I, I can't believe people read that? Um, I, I, I'm not a guy. I, I should do this more. I don't go back. I'm, I, and I, this is a, maybe a, a, it's helped me, but I don't. But I think when it comes to writing and like professional writing, you should go back and look at your stuff. And I just don't do that because I'm not used to going. I don't want to go back in my life. I, there's some scars back there. I just when it's pers- really personal, yeah, well, yeah, I understand. Right, and so I've applied that to everything else in my life. Almost, right. I'm just forging ahead, you know. And I got my daughters are 13 and 16, and right. and uh, their their life is going forward. So I'm I'm up with them. Right, but I've written some stuff and sent it to my editor there at the weekly. I've written some stuff I just thought was absolute crap, and then it it comes out and people. You'll get a hundred comments or, or two hundred comments. Like people are like, oh, that, that's just the best thing ever. And totally. uh, I sent it to my friends, and um, you never know. And then you'll read it back, and like eh. you'll read it that week. You know, like I guess it was okay. Yeah. Now that now that you know that it it's affecting people, maybe it was okay. And, and then there's the other times where I remember discussing with my editor at Huffington, and he he said to me, "I'm really nervous about this." really nervous as to how people are going to react to this and that got me nervous and then when it came out no comments like i think two oh like yeah z- yeah zero that's response <clears throat> totally do you read the comments that accompany your i do i do um i do just in case you know sometimes i'll, I'll know if it's gonna i'm gonna get comments that i should be attentive to if it's a sensitive thing and in some girl writes in like it affected her uh, you know she's having problems I'll look and, and make sure like everybody's okay um, and then if it's something where there's somebody being a bully in the comments which you, I'm sure you've seen yeah I'll step in yeah on the and, Seattle Weekly site yeah yeah and I've made everybody use their name I wrote a whole column about I'm using my name you know and we are the new paradigm online this these are our newspapers and newspapers started um in this country in america at least they started in on the east coast up in the northeast and there was like little villages and they had one printing press and they maybe print out two newspapers and they would go around the whole village everybody would share them in the back there was a blank page and you know john smith from you know one one squabble lane would write his comment but he put his address and he put his name and he'd write his comment to some article in the, in the paper right and they pass it on right and oh, that's how the comments first started but people would put their name and their address in little villages everybody knew so you took pride in what you wrote if you commented um, and that became in modern newspapers you know the letters section So how did you start writing in 2006? Um, I, I did a, a spoken word record and uh, did a spoken word tour. And then the editor of Rock Hard Magazine in Germany, 
he um, he lit, heard it and he offered me a column in Rock Hard. So I think I wrote for about a year, year and a half, uh, bi-monthly column, and it was perfect a perfect start. I had mm. two months to think of my next piece, and I wrote very, very lighthearted uh, essays on rock. Mm. Like, oh, you know, top, here's my set list for air drumming and how to air drum properly, and like things like that. Yeah. And then um, as my confidence grew, I, you know, you do interviews with, with magazines and stuff. And when you're kind of like semi-impressed or impressed with whoever, yeah. you, you kind of, you go, oh, I also do this column. And then if you, if you notice an opening, which I would do every now and then, I'd, I'd say, hey, I, could, I would write for you guys if, you, if you'd have me. So I ended up getting another magazine column in, in Norway. And then I got one in, um, uh, another one in Germany, guitar for the practicing musician. Mm -hmm. And then it just, then I got close up um, in Sweden, which I still have. And I have carte blanche, as long as I speak about hard rock and heavy metal. And I do it, I do it in a lighthearted way. So I've, I've always established that. I'm never going to stray from that. Yeah. But then when I got, the, and then Huffington started a year ago where it was a weekly thing. And I, 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 uh, my editor said, well, you know, whenever you want, monthly, bi-weekly, bi bi-monthly, whenever. And I said, I could do it two, three times a week. Have you, have you Seriously. experimented with, with writing a story that's not your own? No. No. I find it, I've just tried, I tried, I did two You did, so you did pages. try. I, yeah, yeah, I just was like, um, this isn't me. Huh. I'm not being genuine here. I'm, I'm reading a novel right now, um, it's called Beautiful Ruins, and um, written to 2010. I think it was a. It's awesome, magnificent, epic story, and it goes back and forth between 1962 and present time, and uh, even to some other time. And I'm like, how did this? And the the story, the character is so well developed, and like, like how, how did you like? How do people like this do this? Yeah. And they, these 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 paragraphs roll into each other. I'm like, you had to map this all out. Like, there's no way you just wrote this. Maybe there is. There's brilliant people who can write, and, yeah. and the writing takes them places. I, I'm reading this book right now on Woody Allen, and it's a uh, it's it's just a it's just these uh what is it Faber and Faber the they have this series, and I've read a few of I've read a few of the, the books in the series, but it's basically an interview and it takes you through their filmography oh. with, with, with the esteemed interviewer. Right. And uh, just trying to figure out Woody Allen's process. Much like you said, he just finishes a movie and he keeps going. And, he, you know, and they talk about whatever's in the movie, but what they're not getting to, which I, I'm waiting till they get to, is his process as to how he comes up with with these stories like yeah. how he moves into the next story and the next because he's very prolific and I just I don't know how he, and he goes oh by the time the, the movie comes out I'm already like about to shoot the next one and I never read the reviews I never I'm already on to the next one I'm like well how it takes me forever like to come up with like a movie script sometimes it, it that's someone's life's work yeah and how, you just like seamlessly go into the I don't know how, and they, they have not discussed the process. Wow, which is really kind of like, and, and considering I went to film school and I did oh, study did? screenwriting, yeah. Oh, and I just—I mean, I love screenwriting, the ability to do it, but I cannot, for the life of me, get out of a a thirty-minute screenplay. But I, you know, to do it 
as like he does I, I don't know the process yeah. I'd love to know yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And, and the same with like you know big big huge fiction pieces right can't do that I don't yeah. know how to do it no then do you read fiction um, yes I will sprinkle it yeah. in with whatever I read I'm like I gotta get out of this I don't care about this the, the, the fifth person's like childhood I don't need to hear about another right. person's childhood and then I'll switch it up for a couple of couple of books but for the most part I like to read I don't know I read a mishmash of stuff yeah I do too I, I go back and forth but you yeah. read more history stuff from what I gather right I, I go I go all over the place I I, uh, I since uh, I, I, when I first got sober and st started reading a bunch I, I read all the classics like Ernest Hemingway all the stuff I was making up for lost time yeah I, I, I read all these classics and then I got into Nonfiction, like war stuff, and then the West, and then Europe, and I get polar exploration. I would just go all over the place, mountain climbing books, and and uh, I thought, well, you know, fact is way stranger than fiction. Why would I read a fiction when I've got all this stuff that happened, and yeah. these are accounts of it? And, yeah. And uh, I think, like you, I I think I somebody. Oh, Squires, Mike Squires from Loaded. He said, dude, you have to get back into fiction. And he gave me The Road by Cormac McCarthy. And I, I sat on it for like a year. He goes, have you read The Road yet? Have you read it yet? Like, no. Finally, I, I read it. And I, you know, and, and and it was like that that book just tore me apart. I mean, that little kid when he, you know, in the way that Cormac McCarthy writes, it's like, one word like the, the, when the kid says okay and that's all he says that's all the you know narrative the kids kid has and like so I started I, I read everything Cormac McCarthy had you know and uh, so I'll do that and are I just, you a book hoarder do I have books a book hoarder like I consider that like an occupation like I I okay so I have a library that I take pride in at, at home a red library, like all the books have been read, cover red. to cover. Yeah. They're all read. There's a couple that only, but only um, two percent, I would say, haven't been read, and it's like there were gifts or, or something. Right. Okay. They'll be read, but yeah, they're all read books that I've read, and so I have my polar exploration mm -hmm. section. I have World War Two, World War One, all my fiction by author. I have first edition things in this in this cool case I have and that's great. And um, I usually go through authors or like a period. I'll get stuck into something and right. want to know as much as I can about New Mexico, you know. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know how to end this properly. Well, um, we'll end it by saying um, there is no end. We're just. You and I both were like in the process of being writers. In the and, processes. Right? Yeah. In the process. Yeah. Uh, There's no way that I consider myself a writer. I mean, whenever anybody says that, I go, well, the hack version of what a writer is. I always just kind of self-deprecate it. But I think, though, that, I mean, there's just a changing tide. I, I feel like you. I feel like I'm... I don't feel like a hack because I, I mean, you are not, not a, a hack, no. but you know what I mean? Like I, I, but I don't feel like that other echelon. I feel somewhere I'm just kind of making my way right now. And right. sometimes I write about something that uh, I feel 
like that column felt good. That felt good to write, and I think that's going to be of service or whatever. Doesn't it feel really great when you do finish a column, you hand it in, and it just feels like very, very similar to like coming up with a great riff or mm-hmm. finishing a song? Yeah, it's like yeah. writing a song. It's a yeah. uniquely alone thing you do if you write the song by yourself. Mm-hmm. And you and uh, but writing is even more so because you're stuck in your Word document on your on your Mac. Yeah. And your wife, not your wife or your kids, and I, um, nobody can, you know, they can be even be sitting right next to you yeah. while you're writing it, and you're in this whole other thought process and uh, headspace. And I think it's so awesome. I I love the whole feeling that I get doing it. It's a it's addictive to the point where I think going bi-weekly has made me even miss it. Yeah. I might go weekly again. Nova Selleck said he he um he stopped the weekly and and he, he told me he goes right before he stopped he was really battling with it because he wanted to go back to school and he, he said I think I'm addicted to writing for the weekly. Yeah, I'm like really, and now I I think I I get it. I'm there five years and like because some columns you just turn in and like. Uh, it is addicting. I don't know if it's a bad thing, you know, necessarily. But uh, he wanted to move on to something, and it was keeping him from moving on to some other. But what a great thing to be addicted to. Yeah. Because you, because at the end of it, you're left with a body of work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, it's great. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Is that how to end it? It's a good way to end it. Is it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Doug. Cool. Thank you very much, man. All right. This cool. is something I've I've been looking forward to. Uh, discussing with you for a long time. I'm glad we could do this.